Hello, welcome to Let's Talk Tottenham after the West Ham win. Uh, riding solo today, uh, so talking about the West Ham game, my views on that. Uh, it was a good win, must, must win game. We managed to do that, it doesn't matter how you win games sometimes, just get the first win under your belt. Uh, and also other things that have uh, happened in the news and, and, and from the game and, and this season in general. So Merson made some comments about Jose and Kane. Uh, there's the Undombele situation, which we've been following on Twitter. There's apparently a rift between the two, but whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, discussion on Lacelso, whether he needs to be a number 10 or, or, or where he's playing at the moment. Uh, Deli Ali as well divides opinion. Is he the new scapegoat? Do we need to sell him? Uh, what has uh, happened to his changing form and why has that happened? Uh, and then Liverpool have finally won the league after 30 years. So a big congratulations to them. But it also highlights the fact that they have done what we should have done a little while ago and what we should have done with Ericsson. So all that to come. So let's talk. So first things first, the uh, game versus West Ham was a must-win game. Uh, if we've got any aspirations to get into this Champions League, uh, we had to win that. Uh, it wasn't the prettiest, but isn't it what they say? Good teams find a way to win even if they don't play well. Um, I thought in parts we played well. First half was pretty much the same old that we've seen from Tottenham for about four years, five years, where it's just slow and pedantic and pedestrian. Uh, easy for the defence to regroup and not cause them too much problems. Uh, obviously the goal helped because that opened the game up, but I thought even before that we were playing quicker and looking dangerous. Um, you could argue that is West Ham getting tired, um, but then, you know, on that logic, so were we. So I think good performance and a clean sheet as well, certainly. I, I think there's potential for this Dyer-Sanchez partnership. Obviously, you haven't got the old head there in a Vertonghen or Alderweireld, but you know that that might come with signings if Thiago Silva is to be believed. Um, but I think it's got a uh, it's shown promise. I thought one mistake each. Dyer's one again was the the crucial one, but one mistake each against Man United. But I can't really think that they did much wrong against West Ham. Obviously, we didn't look very good their crosses uh, and Antonio kind of bossed us around a bit so maybe we have we need a kind of an old head and a, a bit of a wily old head in an outer field of a Tongan when we come against physical people just to try and put them off their game um, but yeah Antonio caused problems uh, and they caused problems with crosses from free kicks and corners and then just uh, open play crosses but yeah I don't think there's a team, maybe a Liverpool, that don't give our chances to opposition. And even when we play them, we should have won. We should have gone two 0 up with Sun hitting the bar. But Man City play some of the best football in the league. They always give you a chance. Yeah, they create like three times as many chances as you do, but they'll always give you a chance. No one's completely infallible in defence. Um, so it's just a case of a. Uh, I don't know. Really, a uh, kind of. Um, Seeing it through, making sure you don't concede a goal, stay strong. Um, but again, like, like I said, that first half, certainly the slow build-up play. Um, yeah, It's been like that for years. It's teams who sit back against you at home, which generally happens more and more now. Teams who sit back against you at home, you need to play quickly. You, can, you can't just play slow because it's easy for them to defend against. If they play 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1, it's your two banks of four, which as you're moving it from side to side slowly, all they're doing is shifting those banks of four from side to side. Everyone's marked, and that's why it goes side to side or backwards and rarely forwards until someone takes someone on and takes someone out of the game. But even then, if it's too slow and you've only taken one person out of the game, then... You know, it's it's very difficult to break that down. Uh, that's that's where Ericsson, we'll talk about him a bit later, but that's where Ericsson was superb for us and where Fernandez is great for Man United because they open the game up because they can speed the play up by quick passing, drilling 50-yard balls to per people in a slight bit of space and they open the game up. But again, this slow build-up play, certainly in the first half, isn't anything new. Like, Pochettino's teams pretty much did that entire first half, come out of the second half, completely different team. 
just because we speed it up a little bit more and people make runs. But what we saw was that even when Lo Celso came out with the ball and was looking up, there was no one making runs for him. Maybe they're so kind of used to having an Ericsson in there who can ping a 50-yard ball without really paying attention. I mean, I mentioned after the United game the uh, Lamella chance where he could have put Sun through, whereas an Ericsson would have seen that pass before the ball even got to him. So again, it, it creates confidence for the players around him because they know that they'll be found if they make a run. If that player isn't there or, or there's players there who don't see that ball, they won't make the run because it's a waste of energy. And that's where the, the slow play gets uh, comes from, or one of the places it comes from. But also making runs for that, it stretches teams. So even if Sun, for example, makes a run or Kane down one of the channels, it'll create space in the middle. And, you know, that creates space, drags people out of their position. If, if, if one of the midfielders is past their midfield and then a defender has to engage him, drags them out of position and there's space forward. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not overly worried about it because if, if it had been happening for the full 90 minutes, that slow play, then I'd have been worried about it. But it's just something that happens. But I don't really understand, like these managers get paid millions and they watch games over and over again. So, they, you, you, I mean, you know, you knew West Ham were coming to us to sit back and try and get a draw. The, their relegation battle isn't going to be won or lost by how they perform against one of the top teams. It's going to be how they perform against the, the teams around them. But what they don't want is a big rollicking or hammering, excuse the pun, by one of the big teams, so they set up for a draw. If they can get a draw or nick a win, then that's a bonus, but they're not counting on those points to uh, save them from relegation. So you knew they were going to sit back. So what? why teams get sent out just playing slow, I don't, I don't really know, really. Especially when people are unfit and you've got people on the bench who haven't come on who are unfit, you know. Go out quick, kill the game off, 3-0 at half-time. Then you can rest people, bring people on, and everyone gets a run of fitness. So I don't really understand it. Um, there are only quick play, our only quick play in that half, and the only time that people made runs when the Celso was running with the ball or someone was running with the ball was the goal that was disallowed. Very marginal, but, you know, letter of the law, it was offside by toe maybe, so letter of the law, offside. But it was positive in the sense that the Celso had the ball running, there were people running off of him looking for the ball, that created the space for the passes to come through. Sun still doesn't look massively fit to me. Uh, he took someone on and put a cross in early early doors, but other than that, he kind of kept looking back when he got the ball turning round. The, the goal, the disallowed goal, was more more Sun-ish, uh, jinking inside to get a, a yard of space and then pinging a shot off. But again, I'm not overly worried about that. I just think it's lack of fitness. So, you know... As the games come on, it'll look sharper. So it'll look sharper against Sheffield United, I think. Kane looked a lot sharper until the last maybe 20 minutes where he kind of uh, ran out of steam. But, you know, 70 minutes, he really looked sharp. So, again, that's a good positive. Him getting off the mark as well uh, can only be a positive. Uh, was that ever in doubt, that goal? He should have had two now. He missed the uh, one in the uh, in, early in the second half. Uh, second half was much better. More, I think, got into the game a little bit, but I think Bergvine is more effective. So really, if, if everyone's fit and you're playing the strongest team, Bergvine will be over more. Um, we, we'll talk about that area uh, a bit later on, probably in the second half of this. Uh, second half, we, as I said, we were much better, but there, there was a big warning there. Four nows, he had a chance uh, in their first game, West Ham, uh, which he missed against Wolves. And then they went and scored, and then the game over because they were chasing the game. And he had the same here, like maybe not the easiest chance in the world, but definitely should have made at least Loris do something. Um, but again, that was a warning. But like I say, even Man City and and sometimes Liverpool give chances to opposition teams. Uh, not to say that it shouldn't have happened. I mean, it was poor marking. Really, he was completely unmarked. Um, whether that's a new partnership or whether it is just uh, potential at the moment and it won't work out because they aren't good enough remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, he should have scored that really. Um, 
Oh yeah. He didn't really do that much wrong, but something that Mark mentioned on the last podcast is that he always dives in, and Declan Rice had a chance, and that came from the space given to Declan Rice because Aurea came storming in, sliding challenge, and Declan Rice just evaded him and nicked it past him. He stays on his feet. That space isn't there. Declan Rice has to make a pass rather than drive forward and have a shot. But So, again, it's I've said it before, I don't think is a bad, bad defender. I just think his decision-making is shocking. But it's in defensive situations, so you could argue that that counts as defending because defending isn't just tackling and, and things like that. It's positioning and decision-making, so therefore his defending is terrible. But again, like I said, who's the right back who's going to replace him? I don't think there's anyone. So potentially he's got complacent, and we'll talk about Ali in the second half for exactly that same reason. Uh, again, the complacency. Uh, Lamela, we, I thought we should have had a penalty, really. Not that anyone went down, but Lamela did the honest thing, thought he could score, stayed on his feet, went wide. But he got a push in the back. Now, was it enough for a penalty? Possibly not. Well, obviously not, because he could have stayed on his feet. But it looked to me either the same kind of level of push or slightly more than the one that Pogba went down for, and that was given. So I think if he'd have gone down, we'd have got a penalty there. Um, but again, it, it's that age-old dilemma. Should you stay on your feet and be honest and you get put fouled and don't get a penalty or fall down when you could stay on your feet and then get a penalty? So again, honesty, I think, has... Uh, you know, he's been honest and he's not been penalised for it, but he hasn't got the rewards that he should have done. Um, West Ham hit the post before we scored. A silly foul by Antonio. Silly foul. I mean, I think it was on Antonio, but Antonio is pretty much on the byline going absolutely nowhere. The only opportunity he's got to do anything is to do some skill to get past him, which is unlikely to happen because he's quite a big unit to Soko, and then you foul him because he's going to go past you, or pass it back. But he fouls him, they get a free kick, Lois flaps at it like he's been doing for a little while, and then they hit the post from it. And I mean, chances from our own making. I, I said the Man United, I thought they didn't have that many clear-cut chances. Um, but one from our own making, and that one definitely was. Two errors there. Luis either punches it or catches it. You don't flap at it and then let it drop near you. Just get rid of it. But, yeah. And then our goal, which was a fluky goal in more ways than one. Fluky because the defender never saw it, but really shouldn't have counted. Now, this handball rule is an absolute joke. Certainly in that one, Sanchez would never have known it hit him. Certainly in real time, it didn't even look to me like it did. And then on the replays, it literally brushed his arm, changed direction ever so slightly. But we had a goal disallowed against us, against Man City, for exactly the same reason Wolves have had one. So by the letter of the law, whether it's a stupid law or not, it should have been disallowed. And then it raises the question with VAR, what are they watching there? Do they even know the rules, these people? Because they, one gets banned for Man City against us, and then one for us gets given for exactly the same thing. So it's been coming to like, you know, clear up all these errors, but there's still a human error because you've got a different referee each time watching it. You should have, I think, maybe three, two or three referees, or, or maybe not even referees, but people who are specifically there to watch VAR rather than different referees every time. There must be about 10 people, so still, it's still open to interpretation. But no doubt we got lucky there, and it completely changed the game after the four nails miss. Completely changed the game. West Ham had to come out because they have to win, really. So they came for a draw. They weren't getting a draw, they were getting a loss. OK, we're either going to lose or we get a draw, so we might as well go for it and try and get a draw, and then maybe even nick a win. Uh, but then that plays into our hands, because we are a, similar to when... A, AVB was there, we were a counter-attacking team then, we were much better as a counter-attacking team than we were kind of breaking teams down, and it looks, certainly in this game, and, and Man United, it, it, we're similar to like that at the moment, but that, that's Jose's way of playing, isn't it really, sitting back, then countering. 
Um, but the, you know, the game opened up. We had a lot of chances. Kane should have scored from the corner, like I said. Oh, the, not the corner, but the, the West Ham corner, which we broke from. But then, good move. Lamella deserves mention there. Di, uh, not Di, Delhi was playing in the first half. Talk about him later. But what he didn't do for a lot of the game, which was get stuck in, really. Lamella did. He broke up the play that West Ham had. Then goes to Lacelsa, I think it was. Then to Sun, through to Kane, goal, never in doubt. And now Kane is off the mark again. After Merson's comments, which we'll talk about that. Um, and then, yeah, never in doubt, really, Kane's mini miss, uh, miss, finish. Um, but I, th I think, apart from a few crosses and the mistakes again by us uh, in regards to the free kick and Loris flapping, I didn't really think West Ham looked that dangerous apart from one chance, which was the four nails chance. So one chance that they created, really, in 90 minutes. And I don't didn't really think we looked uh, that under threat, but obviously you don't think that at the time. Certainly I don't. I don't want to tempt fate. But yeah. So, a little overview of my thoughts of the match there. Um, got a few points to go through in the second half, uh, which we'll go through, which uh, will relate to this game and other things this season as well. Uh, so, we'll talk about them. But, the, yeah, that was my overview of the game, really. So, must-win game. Doesn't matter how. It's easy to win when you're playing well, but when you're playing badly and you need to win, that's where the real uh, test of character comes in. I thought we passed it. The Man United game as well, I didn't think we played that bad. And I know it was defensive and people were moaning about that, but it's Man United here. Man City, like I said on the last episode, Man City tried to attack them and they got ripped apart on the counter. So you can't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with United really anymore. You have to sit back and have tactics to play on the counter. And I, I thought we looked dangerous on the counter. And here, West Ham, I thought... We didn't do much in the first half, apart from the last couple of minutes with the goal that was disallowed. But second half, much better. Took the game to them. And four points from possible six on the way back. I don't think that with a London derby and a team who won form before the break, I don't think that's too bad. Don't yeah. Be interested in the Sheffield United game. They've had a re really bad run of form as their momentum completely burst with this break. We'll see. Uh, but we're still going to have to be on our toes and on our best to beat them. I still think we can beat them. I reckon we can get seven points out of nine. So a lot, a lot of uh, people on Twitter were, were calling for Undon Bele to start in this game versus West Ham and some against Man United as well. And I no doubt if he doesn't, then against Sheffield United as well. But my question would be, why should he start and why would he start? When you when you look at Jose Mourinho's way of playing and these two games, I think we've seen glimpses of how he will play, we know how he will play generally, but how he wants to play and that we're start, starting to adapt to that. And it's worth mentioning as well, the first season Pochettino started, it was very, very similar. It was obviously he had a pressing game, but it was very, very inconsistent. Some games would press really well, some games not at all, sometimes half and half. And it wasn't until the second season, really, or third season, that we really, really started doing that in a way that Liverpool have carried on doing, we'll talk about them a bit later on, but it took a little while for his uh, way of playing to come through and for the players to accept that and understand that. So I think it's going to happen with Mourinho, but you can see signs of it already. So, you know, he, he's not the free-flowing football that a Pep Guardiola is. But what he is, it's, it's, it's based on a good defence. So you can argue whether we've got a good defence or not. Part of having a good defence is the stability and security and protection of that defence, which, of course, and I've been banging on about this for weeks, is the midfield, especially the defensive-minded midfielders. So I've been saying that, you know, I, I feel we've got too many who want to go forward, so they leave gaps and that leaves our defence exposed. So you can see, certainly in, in these games, Sissoko coming back has been... Huge, and he was doing this against West Ham a lot. He hardly went forward and, and made his marauding runs like he normally does. So really, the midfield, certainly that defensive midfield, is not going forward. And Jose uses that to protect his back four by them have being disciplined and not going forward too much. And if they do go forward and lose the ball, they get back quickly. So my question would be to the, the people wanting Bello to start is why would you start him when 
this season his fitness doesn't look anywhere up to task to if he loses the ball getting back and his discipline is to go forward. So in, in that way, he doesn't fit that defensive midfielder type. Could he play as the number 10? Yes, he could. He's he, We've so seen glimpses. Uh, I know we got battered 7-2 by Bayern Munich, but uh, Sun's chance early on in that, which he, he missed, was a brilliant through ball from Undombele, completely opened him up. So he can definitely play in that role. Would he need to track back? Yeah, he would. Uh, when you've seen Sun and Bergwijn and, and Mora uh, tracking back with the, the, to help the full-backs, uh, the number 10 does that as well. Maybe Kane is probably the only one who doesn't, although there was a part in the West Ham second half where he was pretty much in defence, which is a bit worrying when he's supposed to be our furthest person forward. But Anyway, the Undombele situation, unless he's playing as someone further forward, and even if he is, he needs the fitness to come back. So... And there's also talk that he's had a falling out with Mourinho, but that seems to be paper talk. There's been nothing from the club or him or Mourinho or anything. So, I mean, it could be true. It really could be true. We all know that Mourinho seems to uh, have players uh, not turn on him, but like have enough of him and get fed up with him and don't like him. So it could very well be true. But I'd like to think what he's done is set and Dombele a challenge to show him in training that he deserves to be in the squad. We know he's got the skill, but deserves to be in the squad in terms of the discipline, fitness and motivation and, and attitude. And that will then tell Mourinho what kind of character Ndombele is. If Ndombele just goes, I can't be bothered and it just, you know, walks his through training, it just shows him he's not really that bothered and, and does that maybe doesn't have the character to really fight. If he real, really knuckle, knuckles down in training... Shows him he's got a real character who's willing to fight, and you know that can be part of the midfield because you need a bit of fight in that midfield. So I just I just wonder if uh, he's leaving it a few weeks into this last part of the season to see what kind of character he has and if he knuckles down in training and then see how he gets on when he puts him into the game. So it'll be interesting to see that. But in terms of now, I wouldn't be playing in Nombele because I don't think he has the discipline and or the fitness to stick to Mourinho's game plan in terms of that defensive midfield. Uh, maybe he could have played against West Ham because they're pretty much sitting back, but on the break, they were quite dangerous. Um, but yeah, Sheffield United at home, they'll attack um, because they're at home, so the incentive's kind of on them. And they need to win as well to try and get into Europe because that's their target now. So I, I wouldn't play him. I wouldn't play him at all. Um, uh, and then you've got uh, Lo Celso. Nice segue into the number 10 there. I thought he would play as a number 10, and Ali did. Um, which I've said before, I don't think Ali is a number 10. I don't think he's good enough on the ball, and I don't think, like the melee, he can see the pass early enough. And, yeah. But then the number 10 does allow that if you get forward, there should be space there for him to support Kane, which Kane obviously plays quite well with Ali because they've got an understanding. But we'll talk about Ali a little bit later on. But in terms of the number 10, should Lo Celso be there? I think he's our most creative player. Uh, he's got the range of passing that Ericsson had, maybe not to the level that Ericsson had. Uh, and slightly different to Ericsson. Ericsson was very much like a, a kind of quarterback, like a Scholes was, uh, Gerard at the end of his career, Pirlo, uh, Fernandes from Man United. Is. They're not runners. They get the ball. They let the ball do the work. So if, if you look at it, certainly with Ericsson in older matches, he'd get the ball deep, pass it to a defender, chase after the ball, they'd give it back to him, and then he'd ping it 50 yards to Sun or, or, or whoever was white. So he doesn't really run with it, whereas Lo Celso is, is the kind of a traveller with the ball and then he'll play the pass. So we don't still don't have the um, ability to ping 50-yard balls from, from nothing. And Dombele has done that and Kane has started doing that as well. But you can't rely on Kane to do that because then he has to drop deep and you don't have the striker up there. So I, I like to see Lo Celso at number 10, really in that hole where... You've got a good chance there of not being picked up because it's difficult to pick you up. Does a defensive midfielder do that? But if you don't have a defensive midfielder in your team, does the defender come out? Does a midfielder sacrifice his attacking intent? Uh, so I'd like to see him in there. Maybe drop Ali a little bit deep. Where What Ali is good at, he's a, he's a battler as well. 
But in that number 10 role where he's supposed to be a supporting kind of act, it's not much, as much about battling in there. Um, but he's got a lot of enthusiasm, Ali. But Lo Celso, I think, is our going to turn into our most important player. Ericsson was. Kane, yeah, Son scored all the goals, but without the chances getting to them, they don't score those goals. And Ericsson is the only player in the Premier League history, other than Beckham, they're the only two, who've had 10 or more assists in four consecutive seasons. And Ericsson, even in this season, was on eight, I think. So if he'd have stayed, even though he was playing poorly, he'd have got that record with the only one in five. So it just shows how effective he was. But he, he was a massive scapegoat, I think. When he played well, we played well. When he didn't play well, it was all his fault, even though people weren't running for him, people weren't giving him the ball. And, you know, this last season, did he let his uh, standards drop? Absolutely. And, you know, Levy has to hold some of the blame there as well, I think. He said he wanted to leave Ericsson, and he kept him and kept him and kept him until we eventually sold him for a cup price, like 18 million. As soon as he wanted to leave, get rid. Sent a message to every chairman in the world football Ericsson's for sale, let me know your offers. You get like 80 million, maybe even more. Go out, buy Fernandez, light for light, and then nothing changes other than the new player having to uh, adjust to life in the Premier League, which you can see from United, he's done that pretty quickly, and into the new team and the new players. Uh, but Ericsson was a fantastic player for us. He had a bad season last season where, you know, Best will in the world. He wouldn't want to like disrupt the dressing room, but he said he wanted to leave, and it does disrupt the dressing room. Then his uh, performances slipped as well because maybe he didn't have the motivation to perform there anymore. So he should have gone as soon as he said that, and then he'd have gone on much much better terms as well. Um, but yeah, now we need another number ten. And the Celso looks to be that, and and <laughs> Jamie Redknapp saying he's not good on the ball, and he's our main man travelling with the ball, and yeah. Just shows what Jamie Redknapp knows. Um, yeah, so I, I like to see him given a chance in number 10 because he's got that range of passing and, like I've said with Ericsson, which differs from Ali and Lamella, he can see that pass early. So he doesn't have to think about what he's going to do when he's trapped the ball, sees the ball coming to him, sees the players and the pass, then he'll ping the pass. And difficult to pick him up in there as well. While he's deep, it's congested in that deep area. Um so I'd like to see another battler in there. Maybe that's an Undon Belair if he can prove his fitness and his discipline and his attitude. Uh, that's if his attitude is wrong. That may be being a bit hard. Or Ali, drop him deep. Um, but yeah, I think Lo Celso is going to be our most important player, certainly in a forward sense. Um, because he's the only one really with the creativity. Kane can score goals, Sun can take people on, but if the ball gets to Sun too late and he's got two people around him, He's, you know, nine times out of ten, he's going to have to turn back. If Kane doesn't get chances given to him, then he isn't going to score goals, is he? He's not a messy player. <laughs> messy player. He's not a player like Messi who can create something out of nothing for himself. So I think Lacelso, and he's playing well, Lacelso. So I think, I mean, if it works for Mourinho in his his way of playing, which it could do, because he can run from deep and then take someone out of the game. So if they got two banks of four against us, and then you skim past a, a few of their players and running at pace, I think he's deceptively quick as well, then that can really open the game up. Uh, certainly in a counter-attacking sense as well. If they're sat back, then the, the, the back two banks are fairly deep, so it's going to be slightly difficult to break them down. But if he's in the number 10 role, he's already kind of broken past that first bank of four. But then, will he get in the game if, if we're not playing well and if we're defending? But it'd be interesting to see him in the number 10 and Ericsson was in the number 10, but he, he also dropped quite deep. Um, so even though he was in the number 10, which is traditionally behind Kane, he did drop quite deep. He had a kind of free role. So give Lo Celso that. And, you know, and we have the two midfielders who are the kind of the uh, stability for the defence. And then you've kind of got a Pochettino, the Pochettino team, which we, we were so successful. Well, so successful, but so exciting to watch. And got our maximum points tally with two midfielders sitting in front. And then the front four, which at this moment in time would be Bergwijn, Son, Kane, and the number 10, whoever that may be, go and do their thing. Uh, and if the fullbacks are dangerous, then the back two, the, the wide two have to track back. 
Um, but I'd like to see him in the number 10. Um, but whether that will happen or not, I don't know. But he's playing well where he is. Okay, so we'll have a little break there. A few more things to talk about after after the break. So we've got Merson's comments regarding Jose and Kane, and then Kane uh, Jose's rebuttal uh, to him there. A uh, conversation about Delhi. Uh, should we sell or keep him? Uh, what do we think the uh, reason for his drop of form in the last few years has been? And is he the new scapegoat? Uh, but do our fans have a winning mentality? I see a lot of fans who uh, say that the fans need a winning mentality and we as a club need a winning mentality and then they've already given up on top four when it's not impossible, which to me just sounds like a contradiction. Uh, and then talk about Liverpool, which uh, they've won the Premier League, so congratulate, give congratulations to them. Um, but it's a very similar situation to what we had except they did something that we didn't. So we'll talk about that after the break, back in a bit. And we're back. So before the West Ham game, maybe even before the Man United game, I think it was the West Ham game though, Paul Mercer made some comments that Kane would leave under Jose because the way that Jose plays isn't particularly uh, exciting for a striker. Uh, and then... So he, he, he won't get many chances and he'll be asked to play more defensive and, like I said, chances will be few and far between compared to what Kane is used to. Jose's rebuttal was then, he's had all the, he listed all the different strikers he's had at uh, uh, Inter, Real Madrid, Chelsea and their, their stats of how many goals they scored per game, which, I mean, some of the stats sounded astronomical, so I'm not sure how he's... Uh, work that out but you can see what he's trying to do uh, and then Kane in the West Ham game then has he had a speculative shot in the first half from a long way out uh, but he had the clear chance from the counter attack and then the one that he scored which you know home games where he's had hat tricks against lesser teams like a, a West Brom when we beat them 4-0 and he scores three and could have probably had about five um, but you know that, that was when we were playing really well we're kind of in, in transition at the moment so it's going to take some time for, for our different way of playing to happen. Uh, he's a Spurs fan as well, so I honestly think he wants to stay at Spurs, but then if we don't win anything and aren't progressing, like he said, the uh, the law and the, the willingness to win a trophy will then become too much and he'll have to leave. Uh, there's also some, someone posed a question to me. Uh, so I did a... A uh, 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 quiz with some friends. Uh, he's a United fan, but he asked, "Do you follow someone else who's a Spurs fan on Twitter? Um, is it time that we started selling our best players to get a load and load of money and then rebuild that way rather than hoping we can find the money to buy the players?" So he was obviously referring to Kane. I think Ali was another one, but let, let's just say Kane. Uh, and it's very similar to what Liverpool did, which we'll get onto in a bit, but. Would we sell Kane to then buy a load of players? So my answer is theoretically yes, but I'm not so sure that the money would be spent wisely. That would be my issue. If if you guarantee we'd get, I don't know, 150 million for him, let, let's say this pandemic pandemic hasn't happened, so money hasn't been affected, so we get 150 million for him, which might be cheap for for someone like Kane, but we've got 150 million for him. Would we then spend that money wisely? And I'm not so sure. So there, therefore, if you if you guarantee we'd spend it wisely and we get players who would improve our team, then I think I would. But if you don't spend it wisely, you've lost possibly your best player and not replaced people. Who would you get to replace him, first of all? You're looking for you. You're getting rid of a world class striker, and then you need to buy another world class striker. You know, at this moment in time, a world class striker as, as the first choice striker isn't something we need. But we would need that with that money. Whereas Liverpool, when they sold Coutinho, as they've shown, haven't really got a like for like playmaker, so they don't necessarily need him. But they have a way of playing which doesn't rely on that because they're you know. 
we'll talk about Liverpool a bit later, but their way of playing is knock it forward to the front three into space quickly rather than playing it through with like nice little through balls and a playmaker. Uh, so that works for them. Uh, so yeah, so M Merson's comments, I actually think he could be onto something if we're playing negatively and not creating chances and not winning. But four points out of six, he's had a, didn't really have that much against uh, Man United, but he did look very leggy quite quite early on in that, which is understandable after six months out, a big injury and no training or games. But he looked a lot better against West Ham until the last maybe 20 minutes. So he's getting better. So I, I think he'll get chances. So I don't think he'll be uh, upset in that kind of respect. But I honestly think as well with Kane that if the team was winning he wasn't getting as many chances as normal, he wouldn't care because the team were winning trophies. So I think Merson does have a point and I see what he's trying to say, but yeah, I, I'm not so sure it would be right if you know if we were completely negative like some people were saying against Man United. If we played like Man, we did against Man United for every single game, then yeah, I could see him getting there frustrated. But I don't think we will. I, I said after the Man United game, I don't think we'll play like that against West Ham. It was, it was Man United who are good on the on quick on the counter attack, so you have to be a bit more conservative. So I, I'm not sure Kane would would be too upset because I don't see us playing too negatively. I see him getting chances. Uh, and then we move on to the other player that was in the question post me on that quiz, Delhi. Uh, so he's a bit of a conundrum and he, he really, really seems to divide opinion, certainly on Twitter. But And this could just be because the people that I follow, or a lot of people that I follow, uh, talk about him rather than other players. And there's so many other fans that I don't follow that talk about other players. But it seems to me that Delhi's become a bit of a scapegoat, him and Sanchez both. Uh, the poor defending seems to be a lot of the time it's Sanchez's fault because he's not very good. And, yeah, a lot of the time we, we don't win. It seems to be kind of Delhi's fault because he's not doing anything, which Ericsson, like I said, used to be the scapegoat, which was just balmy to me. Uh, so in Sanchez, I think he, he's very young. I still think, like, like Dawson when he joined us, he needs that old head to kind of show him positions and give him a few tips and all that, and then he'll gain confidence and be able to do it himself. Very similar to Dawson, who then became one of our a great defender for us. Delhi, slightly different because 2016-17, he was superb, but then the whole team was. Uh, he's kind of dropped since, so is that because people have found him out? Is that because he's got complacent and, and believing in his own hype? Is it the complacency because it's similar to Aurea, there's been no one to push him for his place, which I think all of those are potential yes and, and very, you could argue, you could argue all three of those. I think with the complacency, because no one are pushing, I think the Bergwijn signing is a very good signing, and also the fact that Bergwijn has started really well, I think it's really good for Delhi because I think it now means that we've got three people who can play, four people who can play out there. You've got Bergwijn, Son, Mora, Ali, and Son like Kane is pretty much on the team sheet if he's fit. So that only leaves uh, potentially two more. Bergwijn is there at the moment. So again, like, like the Undombele, it will show Mourinho what character he's got if, if, if I am right that he's given him a challenge. I think Bergwijn helps give all of those players, not just Delhi, but we're talking about Delhi here, give him a challenge to, okay, prove that you deserve to be in the team. Um, and... Delhi this season, I understand completely that he's been very, very frustrating to a lot of people because before, just before, a month or two before this lockdown happened, he was doing all these fancy flicks, which are all lovely, but he couldn't pass the ball five metres and they're all lazy passes. So it's very frustrating there. I get that and it frustrated me, but I still don't think the games that we lost were his fault just because of that, but it is something that he needs to, you know, you want to you get back to basics and do the basics well, and then you can do all the fancy flicks and, and all your showboating, but get the basics right. But but yeah, so 
should we, you know, should we cash in or, or should we try and get his uh, form back? Which I'm for the latter. Uh, you know, Ch Chelsea are a team, Man City as well, because they've got this endless amount of money that they're not playing well, get rid. But if you look at Klopp, he hasn't sold a huge amount of players, really. And there's been some players that probably haven't performed the way he wanted to. I remember when we battered Liverpool 4-1 uh, at Wembley. Uh, Salah was in that team, wasn't scoring a, a huge amount of goals. Potentially, I'm pretty sure. I think it was the seasons after that, that after they sold Coutinho that he was. But either way, that team wasn't particularly good. And Salah wasn't a, a, a young player who was just breaking through. But he stuck with him, and then you've seen the benefits there. And and obviously as well, with uh, Klopp coming in, that wasn't long after he came in. So again, it's tr they're trying to adapt to Klopp's philosophy and uh, system of playing, which at this moment in time, the team is trying to uh, adapt to Jose's style and way of playing. And systems are a big thing in football, I think. Some systems or ways of playing help players, some don't. So if you look at Salah, he went to Chelsea, didn't really do anything. Goes to Liverpool, has been tearing the league apart and has now just won a, a Premier League. But if you look at it, Chelsea, the, the focus is kind of on the midfield and playing football, you know, building, building football. Whereas Liverpool, it's all based on the strikers. So it's all based, their way of playing is all based on get the ball, give it to the strikers, get them scoring goals. So he's the main, main focus point. In the same way, Torres, when he was at Liverpool, their, their play was and system was all based on get Gerard the ball, get Torres to score goals. Went to Chelsea, and it's not that he's not the main man at Chelsea anymore, and then he struggled. So I think same thing could be happening to Delhi. I, I think Ericsson was massive for him as well. I mentioned earlier Ericsson, like, you know, with his passing, create space because then people run. Ali has always been, I think, since he's been at us, better off the ball than he is on the ball. His movement is better than his actual passing and everything like that. Instinctive passing and shooting, phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. His goals against uh, Palace years ago and then this season the Man United goal, all instinctive, didn't really have to think about it. Superb. But his actual build-up play and everything like that and touch, not that great. So he's much, much better ghosting around, like Lampard did, but Lampard could play as well and, and really well and, and could find a pass. But in, in terms of the, the, the way that Lampard uh, got into the box late and everything like that, that's what Delhi is best at. Um, so, yeah, so I think... And, and that Man United game and, and the uh, goal against Brighton does show that he has still got glimpses of that. The West Ham away game, Jose's first game in charge... Uh, he was in that hole and he was playing well there. Didn't really put the great through balls through, but he was he was finding a lot of space, but even though a lot of that was to do with West Ham, didn't really know what they were doing. But he was getting space and he was affecting the game in that game. And then his uh, little bit of skill, which did work out to set the sun free, then put it in the box for more to score. I think for a second goal. Great play. That's when it works well. But he was actually making passes for five metres and everything like that as well. So it wasn't just fancy stuff that was coming off. He was actually doing the basics well. Uh, but yeah. And and by saying his standards have dropped as well. That is true. That is true. And maybe he's got complacent. But then you can level that at a number of players there. Because where we were from 16, 17, you know, a lot of the players are still there and we're nowhere near that level. So you could argue that a lot of the players have um, let their standards drop, not just Delhi. So that, that, that goes to my question, is he uh, the new scapegoat that we've got? Which every, every team seems to have one. Uh, every fan has a player in their, their team who they hate. So, you know, it could be just be that people don't like Delhi. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I still think, again, if you're guaranteed to get a lot of money for him and guaranteed to invest that money wisely, cash in. But I don't think we are. And 
I don't like the idea of like, oh, he hasn't played well, he's had a bit of a bad run, just get rid. Because that's not going to feel confidence because that will create uh, pressure for players. So you can argue, it's a t- double-edged sword there, so you can argue, I'll keep the player because he's not playing well. It's like, ah, we'll never be sold because we're playing rubbish, but we'll never be sold. But then, oh, you're playing rubbish, get out. Creates pressure. And, you know, that can sometimes make people play even worse, try things that they shouldn't be doing to try and make a difference. So it's a bit of a balancing act. And, you know, I do take the point that it's been about four years and he hasn't uh, got to the heights of that 16-17 season, but it's not been the same, has it? Because Pochettino's way of playing, which was the uh, closing people down, kind of stopped, broke down. He has had injuries as well. Um I think I think certainly next season, and, and people forget as well, he's only like 22, 23. It seems like he's been around for years. It's like when Michael Owen was there, 28. Like he'd been around for 12 years by then, and he's only 28. Um, but I, I do think that I mean, he's coming up to a make-or-break season, really, Ali. So he's got to decide if he really wants to play football, believe in his own hype if he's doing that, or, or you know, focus on his endorsements and stuff. Or decide, I want to be a footballer, I want to play football, I want to get back into the England team, I want to get back into the Tottenham team, I want to start winning trophies and really knuckle down. Again, it will show Mourinho what kind of character he's got. Um, But I I think potentially next season could be a real, real, you know, Delhi's kind of make or break season. But you also forget he's scored, uh, been involved in so many more goals than a lot of players at his age. I think more than Beckham and Gerrard, which, yeah, and the season he had in 16-17, it was a phenomenal season for a midfielder. He scored over 20 goals in the Premier League. So he's always going to have a bit of a dip. He just needs to get that back. But I don't think he's had a dip where he never, ever plays well. He's had glimpses where we can see what he does, but it's never on a consistent basis and he needs to get back to that consistency. So I'd stick with him. But if he continues to kind of be inconsistent and stuff, then we really seriously need, I think, to have a look at, okay, should we move you on and cash in? But, yeah, I'm certainly not giving up on him. He's been frustrating, little fancy flicks and everything. But I think what he does, he brings us some energy, similar to Lamella. Although Ali is playing further forward, whereas Lamella kind of, Plays a bit deeper, although when he was in the number 10, Lamello, he was putting himself about a lot more than Ali did against West Ham. So, yeah, and he's another one. We'll talk about Lamello at some other point as well, but just a quick note on him. He's had a lot of injury problems. He hasn't really hit the promise that we were promised when we signed him, but he does put a shift in, right in the way performance. You know, ignore that part. That's the one off. But he does put a shift in and he's got a bit of a nasty streak, which if you're in midfield, you can't just be nicey-nicey. You have to be, have a bit of a nasty streak. So I'd keep both of them. But again, that's partly as well because this coronavirus thing, There's not, I don't think many teams have got a huge amount of money. So if we're saying £80 million for Ali, please, there's only a handful of teams that can afford him. And same with Kane, if we're saying £150 million, there's probably only one or two teams that can afford him. Um, but yeah, if you guarantee that we'd um, get that money and invest it wisely like Liverpool did with the Coutinho money, I'd seriously have to consider, I think, looking into selling them both. But at this moment in time, I don't think that money will be invested. And certainly with Kane, you're getting a, a world-class striker out. And it's not like Coutinho where they didn't need that playmaker because they had a different way of playing. We'd need that striker, so we'd a lot of the money would go towards a new striker, so he wouldn't really be able to invest a huge amount. Another thing I, I thought I'd talk about is a, a winning mentality. So, obviously, you need a winning mentality to win. You, you could get away with not having one, but that, that would be very, very, very rare. You need a winning mentality. But I see a lot of our fans saying that we don't have one, fans don't have one, the players don't have one, we as a club as a whole don't have one. But then a lot of those fans are already saying, well, we're not going to get top four now. And then next season, we ain't going to win the league. We ain't going to get top four next season. 
So they're already writing off the top four when it's not completely mathematically impossible. And it's point, pointed out, it wasn't just the top four that they were writing off. Champions League football, which, depending on Man City's uh, appeal hearing, could be that top five could be in the Champions League, which we're only four points off Man United there. So if that was the case, that fifth gets it and we beat Sheffield United and kind of take them out of the equation with their three losses, three games without a win... That point against Man United where we were under the cosh could be huge come the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, so it just sounds... Uh, and, and oh, we won't get top four Champions League and we won't win the league next season. That's just a losing mentality, that, by people who, who are calling for having a winning mentality because basically what you're doing by writing it off already is accepting that you've failed already before you've even finished, you know. Saying we won't win the league this season isn't a negative uh, losing mentality because it's physically impossible, so it can't be done. But, you know, next season you're on a level peg in keel. Who knows what, you know, people might get injured during the summer for like Liverpool. Two of their front three could get injured. You know, we could buy players. Who knows? Jose kind of hinted that we would get players in and there's been a short list of him for five or six players that he says he needs and... But whether we and and it's mainly going to be loans and frees, which could be the case. We never know. And then look at Leicester. You know they were fifty thousand to one to win the league. There's a reason why they were that at the beginning of the season because they weren't expected to win it. But they were on a high for escaping relegation with a brilliant end to the previous season. And then they start the season with really good form. And then that gets confidence up. And confidence is like a train in football. It's very difficult to stop. So who's to know next season, you know, we get some new players in, freshen the team up. During the summer, the club, the, the, the players really get used to Jose's way of playing and the system he wants to play and, and the tactics he wants to play. The players really knuckle down. We start the season off five wins out of five, you know. Big confidence going through the team and they're not five games that, you know, against the bottom five, but, you know, a couple against some of the big boys. You never know. You never know that massive confidence there going through the team. And then this season, you know, top four. Yeah, we're, we're 10 points off, I think. Or was it slightly more than that? 12 points, maybe. But, you know, in previous seasons, teams have pretty much not wanted seemingly to finish top four. Because they're just completely inconsistent and then hardly win any games. So you never know going on a good run. But then this top five, if, it, if that's the way it is. But, you know, I, I, I'm sure I mentioned this, but I, I watched the Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, and then he has a winning mentality. I don't think there's any question in that. Even when they were 3-1 down in, in the playoffs towards the end, they went 1-0 up, then lost the next three. They were all over the place. All the pundits, everything was saying, our oh, Chicago Bulls are out. He was there saying in an interview, we'll win. We'll win this game. We'll go through the series. I imagine he was uh, looked at as a bit deluded, which is a word that you get when you say what I've just said there, which we could get top four and could win the Premier League next season. You're deluded, which is just an excuse so that people don't have to say they've got a losing mentality and can say they've got a winning mentality and just say, well, you know, you know, that, that you know, well, you're just deluded. It's nothing to do with mentality. You're just deluded and don't know what you're talking about. But he would have been looked at as a bit deluded. I, I would have thought, like, there's no way you're going to win that. You're 3-1 down. You're playing awful. And yet they ended up winning. And someone did point out that I'm getting lost in my analogy because he's a player, not a fan. And I do get that. And maybe, maybe the issue here is the fans need a winning mentality for the sidelines and, and to cheer the, the players on. So when we go 1-0 down, it's not like all doom and gloom and negative. It's come on, which in the 16-17 season, it was. I've never known a season like that, uh, supporting Tottenham and going to the games where we went 1-0 down and it wasn't booing or shouting, it was cheering and, and singing the songs. That will create a positive atmosphere. When you're booing, it creates a negative atmosphere. That will go to the players and that will put pressure on them. So there is that part to play from the fans, but maybe the point with... The Michael Jordan analogy is that we don't have players that have that winning mentality and that are, OK, well, we gave it a good go, but we weren't quite good enough, which isn't, which again is accepting the failure that you've had. 
So I'd like to think Kane has a winning mentality, but do, does he drag people along? Doesn't seem to be, but then is that because the people trying to be dragged along just accept the failure as well? You look at Man United in the 90s, you know, you know, the manager, massive winning mentality. Roy Keane, unbelievable winning mentality. All through that team, Gary Neville, Schmeichel, you know, the Ferdinands, the, the Vidras, although that was later than the 90s, but Steve Bruce, you know, Paul Scholes, Beckham, Giggs, the, the strikers they had at the time, Andy Cole, Sheringham, Rude Randister, Roy, stuff, all winners, all through the team. So even if you've got a couple that aren't, they'll drag those players through, which I'm not sure we have enough winning mentality players, really. Loris should be one because he's used to winning. He's won a World Cup. And then it's slightly different in the basketball because he dragged all of those players to a higher level. But it's a slightly different game. Um, but yeah, do, do we as fans... That's what these uh, people on Twitter were talking about. Uh, the fans need a winning mentality because it's a, you know, a small club mentality, blah, 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 like that. But when you're then saying, OK, well, we won't get top four, we won't get top five, we won't get Champions League, we won't win the league next season. When it's the same people who are saying that the club need a winning mentality, it's just a complete contradiction and accepting failure, which isn't winning mentality at all. So I think the fact that, you know, Obviously, you need the players to have the winning mentality because they're the ones who go on the pitch. We've got a manager who's got an unbelievable winning mentality, but has he? Will that be enough to instill that into all the players, or does he do? Does he need players as well? Which I think he does. You look at Ferguson; he could rely on the Keens, the Giggs, the Skulls, Schmeichels to drag the team through when they were struggling, and his winning mentality rubbed off on those players. I love Pochettino. Did he have a winning mentality? I'm not so sure. I think every player that we have and manager that we had, Pochettino, wants to win. I think there's a difference between wanting to win and only accepting winning. And, yeah. And saying it's delusional and, and stuff like that, it's not delusional. A lot of Leicester fans, a few Leicester fans, it was reported, won like 50 grand for putting £10 on them winning the league. You can argue, yeah, we did it for a laugh, it's only £10. But a few of them, I would have thought, actually believed they could. They'd have been called delusional. And then they got 50000 for it. So I, I don't think, you know, it'd be very, very tough. Very tough. And, and part of a winning mentality as well, like Michael Jordan, is never giving up on something. Never believing anything is impossible until it physically is impossible. You know, you always believe you can achieve something and then you have a chance of achieving it. If you give up, you're never going to achieve it, which writing off top four uh, Premier League next season is giving up. And speaking of winning mentality and winning, uh, take this opportunity to say congratulations to Liverpool for winning the Premier League. Um, Spurs fans again on Twitter who were using it to promote their hashtag of uh, Enoch and Levy out. Uh, and saying that we shouldn't be applauding them and blah, blah, blah. You know, get over it, really. You, you can have a winning mentality and want to be a winner and be pissed off that you haven't won it yourself, but doesn't mean you have to be a sore loser. And anyone who's watched the Premier League this season and says that Liverpool didn't deserve to win literally is a liar because they've been the best team in this league for this season by an absolute mile Winning the league with like eight games to go is an annihilation of that league. Have they been the best team to watch? I'd still say City are. But have they been the best team in the league? By a country mark. So they thoroughly deserve that title. It is a shame for them. And then, you know, we'd be doing exactly the same thing and moaning if uh, we'd won it without being able to celebrate. But then I wouldn't really care that much because my team would have won the Premier League. So it's slightly annoying for them and you feel for them a little bit and they shouldn't be going to Anfield to celebrate in their thousands when there's a pandemic on. But, you know, people shouldn't be really going to the beach and huddling up. That's neither here nor there. But Liverpool deserve it. And what they've done is what we should have done in 16-17 uh, or, or, or even before that, really. So there's a lot of parallels. They sold their best player, Coutinho, we sold our best player, Bale. 
they invested that money in what they actually needed, a goalkeeper, world-class goalkeeper, and a world-class defender, Van Dijk and Allison. We bought Soldado, who was a box striker, who, who relied on the ball getting into the box and people around him and causing confusion. And then we played by just not having anyone in the box and expecting someone to pick him out and him to do something with four people around him. Polinio, who we had midfielders coming out of both ears. I think Chiraches, who was poor. Uh, the only one that we bought, uh, Lamella, who's been a bit hot and cold. The only one that we did buy with that was probably the cheapest one who worked out and was a success, was Ericsson. So it's again, it's, it's why the question of uh, would you sell your top players for big money and rebuild that way is a bit, uh, for me, because I'm not sure, based on history, that we buy the players that we actually need. We're crying out for a defensive midfielder. Hoiberg from Southampton, I've already mentioned this, is, is a must, I think because it sort of helped sort out that defensive midfield issue. But, but anyway, go, going back to Liverpool, they sold Coutinho. He wanted to go, and unlike the Ericsson, we could have done this exactly the same with Ericsson. We could have done this with Ericsson. The only difference is, like I've said, they sold their playmaker, didn't buy another playmaker because they found a different way of playing. We, we played with a playmaker, so we'd have sold Ericsson, we'd have needed another one. But, you know... Modric was a playmaker and we got him for about £14 million. Pounds. We could have got someone else fairly cheap and built them up. You know, we had Jack Grealish for about £25 million a few summers ago and uh, Levy decided, uh, no, 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 we'll pay 22 no more. What's £3 million when you're paying 22 So that's another thing. We'd have all that money and Levy would still be looking for deals. We, we, we desperately need a director of football so it takes him away from buying the players. But anyway, I'm digressing again. So... Liverpool sold their best player, they had a way of playing, and the board, while I think Levy does back the board to an extent in terms of all that £86 million for Bale was a world record fee, all that £86 million went on players, just the wrong players. So in terms of backing by spending money, and then we bought uh, Undumbele, which you could call a flop, but he was courted by a lot of teams, Setignon, who's one for the future, the Celso that we made permanent, uh, Jack Clark, which will be one for the future, Gedson Fernandez, one for the future, although that's only a loan at the moment. So while, while he has backed them up there, I'm not sure he's backed them up in the way that, okay, which players do you need? I need this player and this player. Okay, I'll go and get them. There's talk that, you know, Pochettino wanted uh, Wijnaldum. We've got Sissoko. I like Sissoko. He, he's come on leaps and bounds from where he was. Is he better than Wijnaldum? Probably not. He wanted Mane as well. I don't know who he got instead of him, but Mane is a phenomenal player. Lightning quick as well and then got an eye for goal. But what Liverpool did is, like Levy, they backed the manager by giving them the money that they used to sell, but they went out and bought the players that the manager actually wanted and actually needed. It wasn't like, we need Van Dijk, we need a defender. Okay, let's go out and buy a playmaker. And, you know, there's an argument that Liverpool have got massive history, so therefore can attract players like that. But, you know, we were in Champions League constantly. We were in a Champions League final, so moving up. So we still had a big pull. People say in the stadium, yeah, I'd rather have the stadium than trophies. I would too. Absolutely. I don't think anyone would say you can only have one trophy or stadium. I can't think think of anyone really that would say stadium unless they're looking at a massive 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 long-term view but in terms of the the, the uh, facilities there and the uh, training facilities and and the, the the way they look after the players if you saw the David Beckham kind of clip on YouTube uh, it's a huge um, wonderful facility and Berbatov said that to Gary Neville on his soccer box program so that will create some kind of a you know Oh, yeah, I'd like to go there because of that. But, you know, it remains to be seen if it's a worthwhile investment. Anyway, digressing again. There's been a lot of digressing today. The point is, we, we had the chance to do what Liverpool have done. And we didn't do it. And that's why, I understand why people are going, oh, you should be uh, congratulating them with Tottenham. So I can understand why they're angry, because that's what we should have been doing. Um, 
but I disagree with that the levy should be out because he doesn't back the manager at all. There's two types to backing, like I've said, giving him the money, buying the players he wants. He does half, giving them the money, as shown by the bail money, 60-odd million for uh, Ndombele and the others that I mentioned. But then there's also buying the players that the manager wants, not what the chairman wants, and that's where he doesn't back them up properly. And that's where Liverpool have done both of those things. But, sour grapes aside, they deserve to win it. It's been a long, long, long time. They've had a couple of seasons where they were just on the fringes and just fell short, so... They deserve their success there and hopefully what will happen is when we're allowed into big crowds and not have to social distance anymore, they will do kind of a a parade through Liverpool and uh, they'll present it, they'll get it actually presented to them at the first Anfield game next season so the fans can actually enjoy it. So hopefully that happens because uh, it you know, should be supported. Even if you hate Liverpool, you, you can't deny that you know their fans deserve to be see them with that trophy. Uh, a massive achievement by them as well. I mean, a lot of teams, like last season, you know, the season before, they lost the Champions League final. Last season, they got one of the best points total in Premier League history and still lost. But then they go and win the Champions League against us, unfortunately, with a dodgy penalty, which I think was a penalty, really. You'd be screaming for it if it was the other way around. And then they end up, after Man City did what they did to them in the league, they end up and go and destroy the league. So that shows the proper winning mentality, that they're never satisfied. They were angry about it, didn't cry about it, just went out, worked even harder, and then basically destroyed it this season. So they deserve all that. So well done, Liverpool. Hopefully, like I say, their fans can enjoy it once uh, all this social distancing is finished. But will they win it next year? They've got a very good chance of winning the next year. Will they win by about 30 points again? I don't think so. Man City will strengthen. You know, can Tottenham win it? Absolutely. Have a good start. You know, get a bit of team unity in again. Get a bit of a win winning mentality in. Have a good start. Get confidence built. Maybe buy some players. No reason why we can't. But yeah, congratulations to Liverpool. And that's about it for today. That's all the uh, things I wanted to talk about anyway. Again, if anyone wants to make any comments, ask ask uh, for discussion on a certain topic uh, at LTalkTottenham. Uh, tweet me or direct message me, DM me. Uh, again, DM me if you want to be a guest on the, on the podcast. Um, and then we'll be back after the Sheffield United game. Hopefully we can get a win there. That's going to be... Quite a tricky one. I'd be surprised if there's more than one goal in that. Uh, if at all, it could be a nil-nil draw, but I don't think it'll be much more than like a 2-1 to either side. Uh, but hopefully we can come out on top. I think the first goal is huge in that one. Uh, certainly if we can get it and they've had a bit of a bad run since this break started, so maybe that'll put a bit of uh, pressure on them if we can get the first goal. So hopefully we can do that uh, and then push on in our quest to get the top four, top five Champions League plays. So come on, you Spurs.